What a spectacular program today. We Right out of the shoot, we have Dave Rubin, who has his brand new book out. Don't burn this country down. Um, Dave's just a great guy. Don't miss this interview. Then the pastor who was put in a cage and strip searched I don't know how many times just because he preached in the open air to the truckers and said, keep standing, but don't be violent. He was in jail for 50 days. Wait until you hear his story. Then part one of a four-part series for um, Passover and Easter week. Who is America's God? Important questions on that. And uh, and then we, we get deeply into the Joe Biden you know, gun restrictions that are coming, which strangely leads us to the cheese theft <laughs> in France. Uh, it's shocking. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. There's breaking news. Uh, multiple people have been shot at a Brooklyn subway station uh, down in the subway. They found multiple um, unexploded devices. We don't have a lot of information at this point, but say a prayer for those who have been shot and uh, also that the police are protected and can catch this terrorist. Uh, I want to uh, remind you coming up at the top of next hour. So in about 35 minutes, um, I'm starting a series, um, a four-part series that will end on Friday that is um, on America's God. Who is it that we worship? And uh, are we doing this with our eyes wide open? America's God coming up in uh, just about a half hour. I want to go to Canada uh, to talk to the Canadian pastor that has been arrested over the COVID-19 rules. Uh, he's been arrested, I think, 16 times now. He has just been jailed for speaking to Canadian trucker, the trucker convoy. Um, and uh, what he says happened in jail up in Canada is third world country stuff. Artur um, Pawlowski is with us now. Welcome, Pastor. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me in. Sure. Now, we had you on before. Um, uh, you were the guy that was supposed to recite a government-approved COVID warning before you talked to anybody. Uh, yes, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. Compelled speech. It seems like the good old days compared to what's happening now. Um, I know. Tell me, tell me the latest on... Because you've just been released from prison, but you're on house arrest, uh, facing a dozen criminal charges. Tell me what happened. Oh, wow. Where to start? As you can tell, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain in Poland under the boots of the Soviets. So my parents decided enough is enough. They wanted to give us a better life, me and my younger brother, David. And we emigrated through Turkey to Greece. We spent a few years there, and then when Canada opened its borders and they said, come to Canada to the freest country on earth where no one will persecute you for your faith, well, we took that offer and we sold everything we had. We had some businesses in Greece, and then we emigrated to Canada. And uh, behold, 
What a surprise uh, right now. Mm. I have been facing over 100 court cases, 340 citations, and this was Jeez. my 16th arrest. Why? Well, during the COVID era, I think they have found a new way to deprive us from our rights, to steal what rightfully belongs to us from God and from the state. The Constitution, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Criminal Code of Canada, clearly is telling them they cannot do what they do to us. However, we have entered an era of dictatorship. Canada is no longer a democracy. I call it China. I'm truly living again behind the Iron Curtain. I dared to speak at the rallies. I dared to tell the people, remember their names. The COVID didn't do this to us. It's people. Remember the premiers. Remember uh, the police officers that are arresting people for no reason, just for peaceful assembly. So I was invited to Kutz. Uh, Kutz is a port of entry between uh, Alberta and Montana. And over there, there were trackers, and the eyes of the world were fixed on Kutz and Milk River, 14 kilometers uh, from Kutz. When the people assembled and they said, listen, we are free Canadians and we want to remain free Canadians. Who do you think Trudeau you are? Who do you think you turncoat Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta? Who do you think you are? You're supposed to represent as the people, but you have waged a war against us. So they decided to uh, bring the attention of the world, what's happening in China, uh, to the whole world. Mm. And then uh, they assembled in Kutz. Uh, there was a few hundred people over there. And then when people learned that there is uh, this Alamo, if you will, this, this stand by the free people, um, they assembled at Milk River. As you know, during that time, over a million people took part in the truck convoy, including me and our church. We were feeding the truckers. I was giving speeches to the truckers. I and you were, you, were, you, you were advising them to hold the line against the government, but you also were advising, be very careful, don't resort to violence, just to hold the line and speak the truth. So you weren't, doing, you weren't doing anything that was inciting anyone, but then they arrested you and put you in jail. And I saw a recent interview where you say you were kept in a small cage for a while. That's that's right. Jason Kenney, everything comes from the premier's office and the so-called minister of justice uh, that um, used to be the minister of health, Taylor Shandro. Um, and both of those gentlemen were caught breaking the same mandates and the same restrictions in the Sky Palace um, hypocrisy where they um, were partying while we, my brother David and me, we were arrested by SWAT team in the middle of the road for inciting people to come to church, participating in a church service and, uh, and, uh, and officiating an illegal gathering church service. So we spent three days and two nights at that time. And then they arrested me after the coup speech. And you're right. I said clearly no violence, no guns, no swords. This is peaceful resistance, solidarity style movement, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. civil rights movement, no violence. And the RCMP was there, and no one stopped me. No one said a word. No one said, you're um, illegally here. It is this illegal protest. Uh, and no, nothing like that. They actually let me in and uh, let me out of the barricade, the police themselves. A few days later, it was a sting operation. Like I felt like Escobar, El Chapo, you know, Al Capone, that was cruisers, undercover police park. 
um, our CMP officers, detectives. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. I was interrogated for hours and then taken to prison. I was placed in solitary confinement, 22 to 25 hours straight. I was placed in metal box, a bigger one than a smaller one. I was stripped naked multiple times. They were, they said they're looking for contraband. They would not give me Bible. When finally I complained over and over, they gave me a Bible, but they did not give me my glasses. I could not read. I was taken in and out of my cell uh, into another cell on concrete for hours. And then after I was shipped to Edmonton for no reason, uh, after 44 days that I spent in Calgary uh, Remand Center, where guards were inciting inmates to beat me up. They said, uh, we're going to open Palowski's uh, door uh, by accident. Go and do him, uh, beat him up. Um, we're sick of, of this guy. Uh, he embarrassed us. And the inmates, I was such a hero uh, in prison that the inmates said to them, first, we would beat you up. Uh, before we would touch this man. He's an innocent man. He's a good man. He's a clergyman. We will not uh, beat him up. And when I was taken to my, uh, you know, cell in concrete every day, when I was coming back, uh, they would be yelling, free pastor art, free pastor art, free pastor art. So it was incredible solidarity uh, from coming from the inmates. Then I was taken to Edmonton, and I was placed, believe it or not, after spending 44 days without incidents, without any problems whatsoever, they placed me on administrative segregation in MaxPod. MaxPod is a place where you place the most dangerous, the most violent murders that attacked guards or stopped murdered inmates. And they checked a box saying that I am considered unsafe to the center and to the staff. The detailed description, the reason given, it says here, I am looking at the document right now, placed on administrative segregation as per senior management. So the document says I will spend 15 to 45 days or indefinitely in this horrible, horrible place alone without being able to see another human being. And it was extremely cold to the point that I could not sleep I was shivering all day, all night. And then the next day was the bail hearing. My lawyers said to the judge what was happening to me. And I think that scared them because I don't know if you're aware, Riemann centers are privately owned. Um, so it scared them and they moved me to a psych ward. Can you believe it? Jeez. I, as a pastor, I was moved to a mental ward. And when I asked the guards, why, where, where am I? Like, what, what is going on? Um, it looks like they are no accountable. Those people can do to you whatever they want. And they were laughing. And they said, you are in the wild, wild west. And I said, what that means? Well, you're in a crazy world. Enjoy it. So they had, uh, they thought it was hilarious. They thought it was, um, you know, a great fun. And a doctor comes uh, the next day and he says, like, why are you here? And I said, that's a good question. I have no idea. He said, uh, this is outside of the protocol. You're not allowed to be here. This is place for um, a people that we we decide that they need uh, this unit, not uh, people that are not mentally uh, mentally ill. So even the doctor was puzzled what was going on. And then he said to me, well, this decision came outside of uh, AHS, which is Alberta Health, um, and it came straight from the director. The document that was signed dated 
March 24, 2022, was signed by the deputy director of Riemann Center in Edmonton. And then four in the morning, a week later, I was taken from my cell, uh, stripped naked in front of uh, women, men. You know, those people are dehumiliating anyone that comes under their, um, you know, supervision, or, you know, in quote. Um, five hours on concrete, and then I was shipped back to Calgary, stripped naked again. Um, the whole unit actually was penalized uh, because when I came in, they hugged me, they cheered for me, and they yelled, free pastor art, so they placed, uh, placed us on the wall, searched us again, spread your legs, arms, took us to admission uh, unit, stripped naked, again um, in tank for hours on concrete. And that was my last day, The 50, uh, after 50 days, on the 51st, uh, they let me out. Uh, there was hundreds of people that came to welcome me, and they were told if they will stay there to welcome my release, I will be immediately arrested. I was told that if I say even a hi to them, if I hug my children, if I hug my father that came to welcome me, I'll be rearrested again. And I am not a free man. I am on house arrest facing dozen criminal charges for, like the Premier Kenny lied to the so, public, said Arthur Polowski incited violence uh, towards others. So is this all worth it? hundred percent. I mean, history is teaching us that it's it's worth it. I mean, if we don't stand up, if we will not push, if we, if we will not fight, if good people will not do what's right, if the light will not shine, the darkness will take over. So, yes, I was sitting in a solitary confinement, and I'm telling you, there were hard times. And sometimes I was crying out to God, God, take me out of this place. Please, please take me out of it. But to fight for freedom, to fight for the children, I got three children, and you know, when I look at their eyes, I can say truly, your father did what your father could. I am not ashamed of what I'm doing. I'm standing for the truth. Others did it before me. I am preaching the truth. I'm setting the captives free. I'm giving people hope. And I have to come back to me, to them, and to you and say, yes, to do the right thing is always worth it. God bless you, Pastor. God bless you. Thank you so much. We will continue to follow this. Uh, and please let us know if there's anything that we can we can do. You can find his story at SaveArtur, uh, A-R-T-U-R dot com. SaveArtur dot com. Go there now. Keep him in your prayers. It's hard to believe that's Canada. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. It's the new year and you know what that means. New year's resolutions. But if your resolution is like mine this year to eat a little healthier, make sure that you include built bars in that plan. Ever since the first time I tried a built bar, I've been a huge fan. I hate protein bars and all of that stuff. Because it usually tastes like it comes from a chemical factory. But Built Bars have changed all of that. Most Built Bars have about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They're also made with 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors that you're going to really love. So get rid of all the snacks that taste good that aren't friendly to your waistline. Even if you're not big on working out. 
which I'm also not a fan of. You can at least be eating something that tastes good, but is also really pretty good for you as well. It's Built.com. Built.com, promo code BEC15. Get 15% off your order right now. BEC15, 15% off, Built.com. All of history's strongest empires are no more. The Mongol Empire, it's gone. Roman Empire fell. The Ottoman Empire, that's finished. And the British Empire, from rising sun to setting sun, dissolved. America? Well, she's not down yet. Well, technically we're not an empire. Shut up, Karen. The point is that every society that has ever led the world has diminished or collapsed. And in those times, it's a scary and exciting time to be alive. As Dickens wrote, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. America is not the unsinkable ship we thought she was. And the iceberg is not just close. We've already hit it. If you think the currency is unstable, have you looked at our kids? Child suicide doubled between 2007 and 2017. Self-harm among preteen girls is up 189%. Americans can't afford family vacations. But it's kind of fine because the family fell apart a long time ago. We live in a time where every woman of the year this year is a man. And every man is told he's an oppressor. Our Ivy League students want more censorship and our government wants more surveillance. All while we grow more and more isolated, depressed and unstable. We've lost our way, America. We've lost our unum. And nobody really knows how to get it back. While all of this is going on, the brave new world is accelerating towards us at an incredible speed. Futurists, dreamers, and innovators foretell a future where man and machine become one. A world more virtual than physical. A world where technology extends life beyond death and intelligence beyond our universe. Some say we'll colonize Mars between, before 2030. Others say... We have to do that because we got to get off this planet before we link to computers. But one thing is certain. Life as we know it is changing forever. Are we ready? If we don't enter into this brave new technological era with some collective moral agreements, then our advancements will overtake and doom us. If we can't define the difference between a man and a woman, can we know the difference between man and machine? What are the ethics of this new world? What is life? How do you live in a virtual world? What gives us meaning? Are we just giant pieces of meat being driven around by machine brains? Are we a dwelling place for God? Are we just a sum of what we've experienced, or do we have immortal souls trapped in mortal bodies? If all of the data of who I am can be downloaded, does that mean I live forever? Is that even me? 
Or is there something more to me? Something that could never be downloaded, reproduced, or preserved? If a machine can deduce, communicate, abstract, uh, out ideas, imitate, um, infer patterns, if they can write poetry and art, tell us they love us, is that real? Are they human? If they respond to touch and seem to make friends, if they say, I am lonely, are they any different than us? If a car is driving itself and there's no time for that car to stop, Elon Musk is on the right and the president is on the left and Mother Teresa is in front of us, who should the car hit? We as humans won't be able to decide, but MIT is already working on that. Because the car will be fast enough to decide who lives and who dies. My question is, what moral standard are they using? Ours? Because I don't know what our moral standard is anymore. According to the NIH, artificial intelligence will be used more extensively in healthcare in 10 years. But don't fear the machine. Fear the programmer. Someone somewhere in the world of big tech is developing the technology that literally will be making life and death decisions. Do you trust that guy? Do you know who that guy even is? Because soon it just becomes an algorithm. Where did that programmer get his values? Are they the same as mine or yours? Also in the NIH website is a report that scientists now are using CRISPR technology for human enhancement, they are genetically modifying babies in test tubes, and they say it's working. Genetically tailored humans. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, and the Pentagon went ahead and admitted we have seen UFOs. Nobody really paid any attention, but can I just ask the question? If aliens come down with a higher level of intelligence, are they our masters? Are we like animals to them, or are we all created equal? Who decides? Well, God does. But do we believe in God anymore? And, and how could we even make this case to aliens or a machine if we're not living it now? We don't believe in God as much as we used to. According to Pew Research Center, the secularization, the shift is now evident in the American society. So far in the 21st century, we show no signs of slowing. Pew's religious landscape study breaks the data down by age group. They found that each new generation cares about God less and less. The generational declines, Belief in God, frequency of prayer, importance of religion in one's life, and even frequency of feeling spiritual peace and well-being. Our nation is abandoning the God of our founding. So where do we go to answer huge questions about right and wrong, life and death, meaning and values? Without a God to order our society, a God that empowers you, not the government, not special interests, but you... Who's going to step in to fill that gap? And will that person empower or enslave? As America shakes off our religious foundation in the name of freedom, 
We have not freed ourselves from dogma or religious strictures. Far from it. We've just introduced new dogmas, new strictures. There is a new religious cult in America. It's wokeism. Is this our new God? It is accepted wisdom that you cannot serve two masters, but it should be equally regarded that everyone serves someone or something. So one God must perish, and in its death, all of its traditions, histories, and decency will be buried along with it. Is this what we want? Because this is the choice in front of us now, the elephant in the room, the root of our problems and solutions. Not to just question and think, but come up with an answer. And if you think you don't have to answer this question, no answer is an answer. The good news is this has all happened before, and if we know the results, perhaps we can change our thinking to change our course. So today, as we enter in this new era, an era rife with ethical debates, a crisis of meaning, and the last-ditch efforts to remain functioning in the world, we have to ask the question, who is America's God? You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. then so um we have the president um coming out yesterday and and saying that uh you know guns are not just one solid piece now i didn't know that did you know that all kinds of pieces in a gun more than well you're saying plural like more than one piece (laughs) there's more than one piece how it just so they're not born that way no they're not born that way they're not born that way, but it's because we piece them together that they slowly become killers. Oh, uh, because I know I know one of the biggest, you know, my understanding, I just want to make sure I, I, I'm not a crime expert, <laughs> sure. not a crimeologist. Right. My understanding is all, you know, drug dealers that are killing each other in the streets of these uh, cities run by Democrats largely are hobbyists that stay home and build guns from spare parts that get mailed from all over the world. Yeah. And they spend hours yeah. and hours and hours manufacturing the guns on their own You're so exactly they can right. avoid those serial numbers. They do not want to shoot someone and murder someone with a serial numbered gun. Well, you know, what's really interesting is, so uh, you know, he was talking about the uh, the guns have to have serial numbers. Mm, ghost guns, Glenn. Ghost guns. Guns that are ghosts. Now, I've I have called mm-hmm. uh, Fred. Fred, uh, yeah, who's Fred? With Daphne? Okay, all right. Okay, okay yeah. And they're bringing the van here, <laughs> okay. and they're going to start chasing the ghost mm-hmm. guns. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's really important mm-hmm. uh, that we that we stop these ghost guns. All oh, the now, ghost guns. My guess is. Uh, that there is somebody behind that these aren't really ghost guns. Mm. There's some rich guy, maybe powerful guy, mm-hmm. that is trying to get the ghost guns and make everybody believe in ghost guns mm. so they can do whatever. I mean, you know, take over the old mansion or <laughs> yeah. 
whatever he's it is. He's probably in a mask. And he's probably going <laughs> to get away with it if it wasn't for these pesky teenagers <laughs> that I'm sending with a van to the White House. Could it get any dumber than the conversation around guns? What is oh, yeah. What are ghost you, guns no, responsible for? Uh, One-tenth of a percent, maybe, of, of murders in this country? Maybe. If we save... One ghost, <laughs> and I don't know. I can't. I can't point to any. I mean, I know there have been cases where they they certainly uncover some ghost guns. It's not. It's mm-hmm. not a. It's not a complete nothing. It's really close to a complete nothing, though. It gets really close to it. You know, the overwhelming majority of quote unquote ghost guns are made by hobbyists who like building guns on their own, and they think it's cool and interesting, and they're collectors. The the average drug dealer. The average criminal is not going to rob a, 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 a convenience store after spending 14 hours putting together a firearm when there are 400 million firearms in this country and they can go buy one for like a dollar. Like this is not an it's so completely you don't have any idea ridic- what people or they can will do. steal one what? when they break into the other thing that they broke into last week. You know, it, you are so, Ugh. so wrong on this. People will do anything to get around uh, the laws that are on the books. For instance, you know, the airports after 9-11, they shut down the airports. There are mm-hmm. hobbyists <laughs> that are now fashioning airplanes out of soap. Oh, no. And you may <laughs> and get onto a giant soap airplane and it'll it'll blow up. I mean, it'll blow up in bubbles and stuff, but it'll pop eventually, and wow. you'll all die. That's <laughs> that's, that's how bad it is. About ghost the- airplanes made out of soap. Yeah. And by the way, can I point out yeah. that while you might be able to legally ban soap airplanes, <laughs> you are not legally able to ban ghost guns or any other kind of gun. Well, no, we have a now, Second Amendment on, that does on. not allow you to infringe on the right. Of, of gun owners to own their weapons and bear arms. Excuse me. They already have serial numbers on all of the soap. And <laughs> what, see what they don't know. These guys in the caves, they're really smart. These hobbyists. What they what they realized is, but if the soap bubbles up, there's no evidence. The first rainstorm and that plane is gone. Mm. All evidence gone. That's true. It could happen at any time. Just saying, we should make guns out of soap this is, and well, only commit crimes right before rainstorms. This is why they do put serial numbers on cheese. Really? They government do, cheese? Not, not government cheese. Not government cheese. Cheese produced, particularly in Europe, is at a high risk of being stolen. And this is a real thing. And they're putting serial numbers on cheese. They put serial numbers on cheese. Now, I don't know. It seems like a bite might get rid of the serial number. Well, you could probably go to jail for that. would be filing off the serial number of that cheese. (laughs) But it's true. They just had a huge uh, uh, theft Mm -hmm. of cheese. It was over $100,000 of cheese. Don't you wish? Let me give you the most mind-blowing stat in the world. And it can't be true. (laughs) But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Wait, I've got so many questions. (laughs) Who has $100,000 worth of cheese? I mean, is it in a collection? Is there a cheese museum? It was a manufacturer that said they sell cheese, like giant Parmesan wheels. Okay, that's an odd business to go in, you know. (laughs) And good luck fencing that cheese. Hey, 
I've got some wheels of cheese. <laughs> what, what are you? Who is buying the black market I cheese? I don't know. I, I don't want know. to know. Yes. You know, like who's not going to. You know what? I could say you know 18%. Who it is? You know who it is? What? People who are hobbyists making their own ghost, bu- <laughs> ghost guns. Ghost, they're not yeah. making ghost cheese, are they? No. No, oh, of course no. not. That's that would real. be wrong. Okay. So 3,500 pounds of cheese mm-hmm. stolen. $23,000 in value U.S. In 2016, 160,000 pounds of cheese was stolen from multiple stores. Listen to this stat, and it's going to blow your mind. Of all the cheese <laughs> made in the entire world, yeah, about 4% of it is stolen. How on earth is that possible? We are 4% of all cheese is stolen. Probably from the employees of the cheese factory. I don't know. Taking it out slice by slice. They're building themselves a cow or something. I don't know what they're building, but. But what person is like, (laughs) hey. You know, I, I could was see. gonna go to the grocery store, but then this guy in this alley had this deal. <laughs> uh, see, uh, I can cheddar, and I had to pull the trigger on it. I I could see it happening. You know that maybe one percent is at the supermarket. You know, somebody just picks it up and puts it in their car. Maybe, maybe, I, but four percent, and it's not just that it's four percent. It's in large quantities. Large quantities of so cheese. So it is like, I am a cheese thief. Apparently. Quiet, I've got a heist that will blow your mind. <laughs> we are going to be champions among mice. I, you, you would got be the hero of look, the mice. man, I've retired. I, I, I can't risk I it can't anymore. Get I can't into get that game. Into the in the cheese game. <laughs> the Brie incident of 85 almost killed me. Oh, man. I the don't. great cheese heist of 85. That was it. Those days. <laughs> those days don't come back, do they? No. It does seem to be a strange way to go, though. And I guess it's you know it can be really, really expensive, right? And especially if you're taking a giant, like, 100-pound wheel of Parmesan, I but guess. But what do you do with that? Right. Where do you fence it? Where do you Who's sell it? it? Oh, right. Well, Nobody's w- eating a hundred pound wheel of cheese. You'll be well, caught with the evidence if that's your plan. No, I don't think you <laughs> eat the whole hundred pounds. <laughs> right. I think right. It, it would take you a while. And it would be sold at like markets. But again, like what market owners like, look, I really want to sell cheese here. So I'm going to buy it from this shady guy. Who Maybe showed- farmer's markets. Maybe. It is France. Mm. I saw Beauty and the Beast where they have that little square with the fountain and stuff. And she comes out with a book and she's like, I want to read or whatever it is. <laughs> that. It's a good telling of that, that story. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where they sell it. In cartoons. <laughs> sell it to, to cartoon mice, probably. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of them. And if you're willing to overlook that many of them are transsexual. Gus, gus. Uh, then you're, mm. then you'll be fine. You can I, sell them cheese. I have to say that they they stole not only all these cheese wheels, but they also stole the the poor wheelbarrows they take to move the cheese, and they took it all. And now they're trying to figure out how to stop it. And their big solution has been putting like stamping numbers into the cheese wheels so that people can identify where the cheese came from. 
but it's like cheese is soft like you just can take a knife and take the little numbers come out really easily and no one's gonna know where the cheese came from they will eat the part of the cheese you put the number in they will enjoy it and sell the, the rest and how would you once you let's say you don't file off the number off the cheese okay <laughs> let's say they grate it off okay. it's called a cheese grater you can sell the shredded cheese too <laughs> let's just say that they've put the numbers huge mm-hmm. like it's number 1801 and it's it's been made to stamp all the way through the cheese okay <laughs> okay all right uh-huh. you just cut it up <laughs> i think that's a one and an eight no, Bill, we don't have it yet. We need 1801. <laughs> I mean, could be 81, might be 18. You don't know. They've cut it up. Not to mention, this is a product in its most desirable form, which is melted. Can I? Can <laughs> I tell you? It just doesn't work to stamp numbers. Do you it. not wish, though, that this was the problem our president was working on? Oh, God. I would put him on the cheese crisis in a second. <laughs> Say, Throw Kamala somebody, at it, too. So let somebody know. know. She's never been to Wisconsin. It she would ne- take her about a month to get there, but she'd get there eventually. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you about put life. Anthony Blinken on mozzarella. <laughs> <laughs> you get to Seriously, Susan wouldn't Rice. that be a better thing? Yes. Susan Rice on, on, the, on queso. You could put. Oh, is that a is that a racist Hispanic kind of thing? I, I, is Susan Rice Hispanic? Of course she is. <laughs> I, she's oh, not. She white. identifies as. I, I don't <laughs> know a, what she is. Yeah. I, oh my gosh! I I well, well this has how gone could off. I the, know when I can't even <laughs> define a woman. How would I know what he or she is? <laughs> na, 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 na.